0: Welcome. This is the Sales IQ Podcast. My name is Luigi Prestonenzi, and I'm on a mission to help salespeople be the best sales professionals they can be. Each week, we'll bring you a different message from thought leaders from around the globe, so we can help you master the art of selling. Welcome to another episode of the Sales IQ Podcast. I'm your host, Luigi Prestonenzi, and as always, I am pumped to have you join us today. This week, we are joined by Sean Finder, serial entrepreneur who has built multiple startups, led sales teams across a variety of industries and co-author of the B2B Sales Handbook. Now, Sean is the CEO of AutoClose, a platform helping sales professionals automate parts of the sales cadence process, which in turn helps them generate more warm appointments and close more deals. I am pumped about today's session, as we're going to talk about the characteristics of high performers and how to really get the most out of your prospecting efforts. Can't wait to dive into today's session. So please welcome Sean to the show. Glad to be here, Luigi. Yeah, awesome, man. We're pretty pumped, actually. I'm actually really excited about today's episode. Um, so yeah, so today it's all about, you know, talking about uh, lead generation sales, sales, um, the high characteristics of high performance, and um, really pumped to have you on, on today's show, mate.
1: I'm really excited to be here. I've heard a lot of your uh, your shows, and I think it's gonna be a it's gonna be a fun one for your audience. That's for sure. Yeah, thanks, mate. Hey, so first things
0: first. I've obviously um, I've read you, you know, doing a bit of research on you before coming onto the show, and I understand you are on the road to become a pro tennis player and uh, made a change in your journey and became an entrepreneur love to hear about you know this and what made it motivated you to to build a career in, in sales and, and business
1: yeah so I'll give you you know like a quick uh, four1 on, on how I started so um, as a young person I was uh, I was one of Canada's best and had a world ranking in tennis so I was uh, like one of the national comp- on the national team here in Canada but I also competed at an ITF which is a world level um, until I was about 18. Um, so that's the kind of where you you have to decide do you want to go and be a professional tennis player or do you want to go the education route? And at that point, yep. you know, we didn't, out of Canada here, we didn't really have any, um, I guess, professional tennis players that were making a living off tennis. I mean, now we have two of the top 15 um, in the world, but back then we didn't. So my mom came up to me and goes, Well, here's your choice, Sean. Um, a, you can continue to try and become pro. And if you don't become pro, you're most likely going to become a tennis coach, yeah. which is not a bad thing. Yep. Or B, um, you can go the education route, go get your MBA. And at that point, the sky's your limit and you could, you know, not rely on tennis. Um, so knowing that, uh, Canada only had a few people that ever made a living off tennis. I went the education route and I look back now and sometimes I wish I was, went the professional tennis route. <laughs> <laughs> and
0: so, you know, was this something that was attracting you to to business? I mean, your mum said you know you could go down the path of possibly an MBA. Um, was there any other profession that you were contemplating, or did you always know that if tennis wasn't the path, it was going to be a world in in sales and business?
1: Yeah, so it, I had an interesting path. That so once I stopped playing tennis at age eighteen, I ended up. Um, teaching tennis. Yeah. So I was teaching actually a lot of the, you know, the Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, kids tennis, like Max Doman, who's now a, a hockey player. And I was teaching a lot of the kids tennis and what happened was I was always interacting with people twice my age. Yeah. So when I was 18, 19, I had to know how to relate and talk to successful people that might be in their forties, 30, late thirties, forties and fifties. And what happened was I, I got into such the social scene of teaching tennis and competing that when I actually took my MBA in finance, um, I ended up thinking, like, I didn't know if I wanted to do finance because you go work at the big banks. And if you said yeah. hi to somebody, everyone was just always behind a computer and nobody would talk to people. So at the end of the day, what I did was, I, you know, I took my skills and all the stuff I learned by communicating and networking with such, you know, high end people in Toronto. And that's kind of what geared me towards, you know, starting in my business and, and, and being more um, engaged in networking and, and starting a business from scratch. Then going to the to the nine to five um, finance route in, the, in downtown Toronto.
0: Yeah, because that's a you know obviously finance sales. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of correlation obviously if you're selling finance. Um, but that is a big shift, right? So um, talk to us a bit about the start of your career and and you know what are some of the roles that helped you build your capability in sales.
1: Yeah, so uh, so what what happened was I was. Uh, I was working, actually, I started off in more of an operations role, Um, and then someone goes, you know what, Sean, with your personality, you got to be in sales. And he hired me um, to help uh, a computer computer company, a computer software company, um, grow their sales team. And when I was there, I realized that I was managing a few people on the sales team, and the data that we had was so inaccurate. So, I would buy data for the sales team, they would use the data, and they would spend so much time calling people that the phone numbers are wrong or emailing people that no longer worked. And I said yeah. to myself, like if this is what salespeople are struggling with, I mean, why hasn't a company come up with less volume data, but higher quality where, you know, you're going to actually hit the mailbox and you know, you're gonna get that person on the call. So what I did was, um, when I was working at VPS sales role, um, about five years after my MBA, about eight years ago now, yep. um, I started building a data company on the side. So I started building a data company where I was saying, you know what, I'm going to build a high quality data company. So sales reps that I was using or working with will end up being able to use good quality. And I grew that company in four years. We worked at fortune 100 companies. Um, and the whole goal was, um, to provide high quality data. And that's where we started before I even started AutoClose um, was, um, building high quality databases.
0: Yeah. And that, that business successful, is it still going? Did you exit?
1: Are you still part of it? Yeah. So that business, uh, still goes. So what happened was after three years, um, I had to come to the conclusion, should I pay the Canadian government a lot of money in taxes or should (laughs) I do and build another app and do some research and development? We were, we were working in preferred vendors of, you know, the VMware's, um, Rogers and some of the bigger companies in Canada and the U S and my clients were saying, we love your data, Sean but we don't know where to email it. So now we have to get your database, we have to find somewhere to email it, it would be great to have it all in one solution. So what I did was, as I've done with all my businesses, I don't build a product based on what I wanna build, I build a product based on what my clients want. So my clients want an email platform, so we built AutoClose that actually has the Exchange Leads database inside the platform. So now, you have the Sales Engagement Tool, but you have the database that is white labeled from our data company inside articles. And we still do um, a lot with the data company. we still have the same team that's out in Eastern Europe that's validating the data, um, keeping it clean and maintaining it and still work with fortune 100 companies here in both Canada and the US with the database. So they both now are inside one roof. However, we still sell the data as a separate service.
0: Yeah. Fantastic, man. And just on that, you're talking about Auto Close, and you know, you move from that data now, you've got a platform that helps all under one roof, as you, as you just said. What's the mission behind Auto Close? Like, what are you trying to achieve with that?
1: So, what we try to do with Auto Close is put everything for a salesperson in one roof. So, salespeople, what do they want to do? They want to make money, they want to make commission, they want to hit their quota. So, what we've done is we've built a sales engagement tool that allows you to not only email from our 28 million contacts. But you can also automate your follow-up, send personalized videos, and everything inside one roof. So you basically can go in, and in four simple steps, you can create a campaign, you can pick through our database, 28 million prospects, search who you want to email, figure out how many emails over how many days you want to send them, press go, and you can travel from Toronto, where I am today, to Australia, to where you are, Luigi, and throughout that long flight, auto-close is running and sending emails and prospecting for you all um, automated.
0: Mate, that's sick. So it's essentially a you know it helps nurture that that sequence cadence component to get a, a, a warm up a lead.
1: Exactly. And and what we've recently done is we've put like um, like a feature like Calendly for example, which is a great yep. tool for um, booking meetings. We've just recently actually this week um, we just implemented where now you can one click. So inside your email campaigns, just put your Calendly, so you can actually automate the entire thing until that meeting and you can pre-qualify them in that Calendly. So when you get on that 30-minute demo, um, they've already been pre-qualified. You know how many employees they have, you know what tools they're using, you know how many people are in their organization, all that kind of stuff. And you, you go to your Calendly, you go to the demo, you go on Zoom or any of the other tools you're using, and it's all yeah. automated. So we're trying to automate the entire process for the salesperson.
0: And that's pretty awesome, man. And and on that, you must say, given that you've got 28 million lead or 28 million you know, details in the system – and you've got, you know, hundreds and hundreds of different people using the platform every day, you must get to see or get some insight into the type of campaigns and engagement through um, different cadence tools, et cetera. Do you mind sharing, um, you know, what you've learned throughout this process and what campaigns, you know, do cut
1: through? Yeah, 100%. So I think the, the, the biggest problem with salespeople nowadays is, and I'm, I'm sorry to say this word, but they're kind of lazy. Yeah. Um, you know, people will send, people will- I don't will, think will that's make, ever changed,
0: you know, man. I think we've always been lazy, man. I just, you know, <laughs> <laughs> if we can cut you, corners to find that deal, we'll cut corners, right?
1: A hundred percent. And and automating is one thing, but you know, when you're, for example, when you're cold calling, yeah. Um. You cold call somebody once or twice and you say, oh, they're not interested. Move on. Yeah. But the, 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 the honest truth is between nine to five, everyone is busy. Everyone nowadays, especially, is getting hundreds of emails a day. Yeah. So you can't give up after two calls. Just like when you're doing an email sequence, we have people that use our platform and they send two emails. I'm like, you, you're not going to get that reply yeah. from especially a C-level person or an IT person. Until email five, six, or seven, and, and what I, I teach people is, you know, you got to analyze the days of the week. What type of person are you emailing? Like, if you're emailing someone that's in IT, for example, IT at a big company, what they're doing throughout the day is burning, throwing out fires. Yeah, they're they're so busy with different users, onboarding new 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 employees, etc. Your better time to email them is either at 6 a.m. or 6 p.m. or try on a Saturday or Sunday. But people will email twice and they'll just give up. Yeah. Don't give up because I will tell you, I reply to most emails on the fifth email I receive, and I like to see a salesperson that is persistent. Yeah. So um, my tip on that would be be persistent and don't give up and don't be um, don't be too. I guess you can be lazy, but don't be too lazy. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah, and I say that you know I do say that off the cuff. I mean we we are, we are big believers in you know professional sales. You know having this is a profession. We're not empty suit. And, uh, you know, we don't cut corners, but ultimately, you're right, salespeople, genuinely, with so much things that we've got to do, we sometimes try to find the easy route to the outcome that we're looking for. Um, but just going back a step, because I really want to, this is awesome, because that cadence, I think one of the biggest challenges that I find, and I talk to salespeople, you know, hundreds of salespeople all the time about this particular topic, it's, it's when to give up, when to keep going versus, you know, when do I disqualify an opportunity or disqualify a lead, Right. And I had this exact topic discussion with a group of guys yesterday. Um, Based on the data that you're seeing, is there, because I know there's a lot of different metrics being thrown around. um, That contact point, is it five attempts? Is it 10 attempts? Um, What is the data showing you?
1: Yeah. So there's a difference between, I guess, a cold prospect and I call it like a warmer prospect. So a cold prospect would be, you know, for example, say you go into my database and you email a cold person. I would say you want to do, you know, six to eight um, follow-up meetings over about 30 to 45 days with those people. Now, when you, when, I, when you say, you know, give up, I would say this. I would say one thing that works well is in your last email, you know, it'd be like going and asking a girl on a date after the first day and go, do you want a second date? Yes or no? Yeah. Do almost the same thing with, a, with, with an email. On your last email, say, Hey, I've sent you a few emails now. Would you mind letting me know if a, I'm missing the mark or yeah. B it's not your budget or C you're currently under contact with our competitor or D like at least get that reply or or, or D you're not even interested at all. Like it's better to get to me to say, no, I'm not interested. And people will like, for example, if people email me that and, and they say, are you, I have people that email me for auto close and it's my competitor, direct competitor emailing me. I'm like, you know, first of all, you haven't looked at what I did, but yeah. I am not interested. I'm in the same. So I think by going in for the hard yes or no at the end really works well. Yeah. Now f- for a warmer prospect, now that might be somewhere where you're throwing them through like um, maybe like a mailchimp or a marketing campaign, and there you you've you've ranked them as like a a four or five star. So they're they're not I guess a lead, but they're they're starting to put their hands up. I would then go in with four to six emails. And those ones would be almost, you know, first one, discuss their challenges and value. And then almost go right into, you know, customer success stories and how you've helped people in their industry or, you know, how you have a client that is similar to what they do, et cetera. But I would say that the warmer prospects, you could be four to six and, about, you know, six to eight for the, the very cold prospects.
0: Okay. And just on that, I, uh, do you see, like, obviously that from an email perspective, but do you hear from your clients when they combine phone or text or you know LinkedIn in that cadence that they get, you know, more of an optimal outcome through that process?
1: One hundred percent, and I and I actually do a lot of talks and, and and speaking on this. Is the one thing that is amazing and it works is a little bit of social. Now, yeah, when you're selling somebody. It's all about touches. So, for example, if I was going to sell you, Luigi, and I sent you a cold email, you might not respond. But if I sent you a cold email, and then three days later, I send you another email, and then one day later, I added you as a connection on LinkedIn, and then three, four days later, you get an email. Yeah. And then a few days later, you get like, you know, I like something that you post on LinkedIn, or I comment on something, or I share something. I could almost add four to six touches in that sequence. Yeah that doesn't actually get you on the phone or have you do anything. All you're going to see is on your mobile phone or your desktop, you're going to see Sean Finder like this. Sean Finder shared this. Sean Finder commented this. So the next time Sean Finder emails you, you'll be like, I've heard that name about eight times in the last five days. Who is Sean Finder? Yeah.
0: Okay. So it piques their interest. It's interesting because Tony Hughes, um, the author of Combo Prospecting, talks about those multi-touches. Um, and how important yep. they are through the, um, you know, through that cadence process. Um, I want to ask as well, when you're sending those emails, you know, again during that sequence to the customer, um, how do you create the content that gives them value? Because as you know, we've got to exchange value with the customer to get any form of commitment. And, and I love Anthony Inarino's concept about this. Um, the first commitment yep. we need to get from the customer is a commitment of time. And we can't get that commitment of time unless we exchange some form of value. So, for a sales professional listening to this episode, who's going shit, I'm only sending you know one or two emails um, now. I've got to increase my cadence. Um, what should they do first to create valuable content? Because if we go to your B2B sales handbook, and I haven't brought that up yet, and you know because this topic is I think is a is a very important topic, but you talk about the the content that we have to put out there. So. Can we go back to the start and say, before building my sequences, what should I be doing to create valuable content that I can exchange with them during that email sequence
1: campaign? That's that's a great question. So, a few things. First, whenever you have to know your buyer, yep. you have to know your you know who who is buying your product. Now, you can say, oh, well, it's um, it's a salesperson. Well, is it a VP of sales, a director of sales, a head of sales, or a sales rep? Because each one have, has a different. Um, what I call it pain and a different gain. So each one will have a different pain or gain. So for example, you know, for example, let's say CEOs, CEOs at the end of the day, they want to make more money. Yep. Sales reps want to get demos. So your content that you send these people must be um, correlated with your buyer's persona. So here's an example. Um, say I wanted to reach out and pitch auto close to um, uh, a national sales manager. Yep. Okay. My first line, and I'm telling you the first line is the first three seconds of that email is crucial because especially nowadays when people are 72% are actually on their phones reading the emails, they're only going to see that first line. So everything you have under that first first line, people aren't even going to read or hear or see unless your first line is catchy. So a national salesperson, my first line might be this. If I told you, Luigi, that I can save your your regional sales managers five hours a day in, pro, in prospecting. Yep. So now as a national sales manager who's managing eight regional sales managers, he's thinking, wow, if you could actually save each of my sales rep five hours a in prospecting, they could be closing more sales. I want to learn more. Okay? So that might be a pain, you know, more, that might be a pain that the national sales manager had. But if I was reaching out to a C-level person, I might say, if I can save you or triple your revenue, I would talk more about, more, more about cost and price because- the CEO. They don't care how you do it. They want to know whatever they're paying for gets them an ROI. So your messaging is different depending on who you're talking to. And that would go for sales or an introvert versus an extrovert. So you have to know who you're selling to at all times, even before you start a cadence or a campaign.
0: Okay. So just to confirm what I'm hearing, it's really know your buyer and the buyer persona first and foremost. Understand the pain that they're going through and what, they, what they've what they got to gain to engage with your platform or to with your message. Then create the right narrative that compels the reader to want to know more.
1: 100%. And the one thing I will add is as important as your first line is, I would actually say your subject line is even more important because if you don't have a good subject line, you won't get the open and they won't even read your email. So spend just as much time coming up with a compelling or short, simple um, subject line to get that buyer to open because once they open, at least you have that first three seconds to give that pitch.
0: Okay, fantastic. And um, for our listeners, maybe we can set something up. Have you, have you got an example of some really good, um, you know, outreach emails that you've developed that have that have really got cut
1: through? Yeah, so a few that I've been working on um, and I, I use regularly is – very short and simple. So, um, quick up. you know, hi Luigi. Um, I might do sometimes like company plus company, but an interesting one I did recently and it's, it was for a conference, but you can do this without a conference is saying like first name. And I always put the first name cause you want to keep it personalized. So they, they feel that, that even though you might be sending it to 30 people, it it's going to that one person. It feels like it. But I said, can we have a virtual coffee? And I find that using the word virtual coffee worked really well because coffee to people seems like, you know, is like most people have in the morning. So it's like, it's a re- it's very social. It's relaxing. It's not going to be pushy. It's more like, let's have a virtual coffee. Let's have a, you know, can we have a virtual coffee? And then in my message, I go, can we have a virtual coffee to discuss your challenge of A, B, and C? And it's almost like people are willing to give you 15 minutes just because I mentioned the word coffee. In my subject line. And it, it, it's worked really well, especially I'm um, getting meetings booked for a conference here in Toronto at the Collision Conference that's happening in two weeks.
0: So virtual coffee. Okay. I'm going you know, to give that a crack, man. I'm going to give that a crack. I'm going to, um, because I, you know, in part of my role in what I do outside of the podcast, um, yep. I'm trying all different outreach attempts both on social, you know, a whole whole variety, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna try that, and I'll and I'll give our listeners the feedback. Um, so this has been awesome. So you know, I wasn't expecting to really dive deep into the world of cadence, but I'm a i am love <laughs> I love the concept of cadence because I feel that you know doesn't matter how many marketing qualified leads a sales team gets, they're never enough. And as sales professionals, we've got to be able, you know, we've got to have the skill to generate our own sales qualified leads. Um otherwise we'll go hungry. so this is this is a very, very important topic from from my perspective. Um, i, ho- I want to sort of before we you know continue down that path,'d i love to go back to you authored the b2 b sales handbook and uh, you know where did the inspiration come to you know in developing that that book?
1: Yeah so um what happened first was, we we looked at um, inside you know we have about four thousand clients on AutoClose now yeah and we looked at, in our in our chat and we looked at our support and what we did was we analyzed what are the most common questions that we get from our clients yeah and some of our clients would be like um, can you help me with our templates um, can you help me with this um, what are good subject lines that convert should we use social and what we did was we built the handbook around the hundreds and hundreds of questions and feedback that we get from our clients. So, you know, when people say, I don't, you know, a lot of people want to use our tool, but they don't know what to write to somebody because you can give it, you, I can give you the data. I can give you the software, but if you don't know what the template should look like. So that's why inside the platform, we actually built templates for our clients. We have about 15 to 18 templates they can use depending on what their call to action is. So originally that was how we got it. And, um, and we had a, our first book was called the 27 uh, sales excellence, um, which we launched uh, late last year. And it was very successful. And we thought, you know what, let's build this handbook. And originally, it was just gonna be for our clients. But then we said, you know, let's give this to the entire B2B community, because if it can help our clients, it can help everyone. And at the, end of the day, even though, you know, we do have a lot of we have, do have competitors that have similar platforms, my job and my role and what I want to do is help SDRs. Help salespeople sell more and make yep. more money. So, so we built the handbook for everybody. Um, it has includes, you know, I think templates, subject yep. lines, um, words of wisdom from some of the top influencers all over the world, um, in sales. And we just put it all into a book, um, and took a little bit of too much time for my marketing team, but, uh, <laughs> to design it and stuff. But, uh, so far it's been very successful. And, and, and as a, you know, at the same time, while you're building a nice book, it gets you a lot of leads and, and also, um, brand awareness, which is which is great nowadays, especially yeah. for um, business and personal.
0: Yeah, and I, I really like the way you've put it together and, and what we'll do we'll put it in the show notes so that our listeners can get access to it because it's got a lot of valuable content. I love the fact that it breaks it down into three areas. Um, about be the brand, step up the game and lifelong learnings. Um, are you able to sort of talk a bit about why you know why you broke
1: it into those three sections? Yeah. So because you know, what we did was we realized, especially with us, we have, you know, there's different people who are part of our buyer's persona and we actually did an exercise to see who are our buyer's persona what are their pains and gains. So why we did that was because SDRs and head of sales and VP of sales will each have different things of interest, yeah. different things that will help them be successful. So we didn't want to write a book that was just strictly for SDRs. We wanted to write a book that any salesperson can open even though it's a little bit longer than I would have liked, I think at 100 plus pages. Yeah. But every salesperson can go in and open. And depending on where they are in their organization, they can start at one chapter. But as they expand and grow as a salesperson, another lesson or another chapter might be important to them as well.
0: Yeah. And, and like I said, I've, I've really enjoyed engaging with it, um, Sean, because it's got, um, you know, it tells me where I can get some good podcasts, um, blogs. Uh, also talks about being the brand and it's got some real simple techniques about how to use social to help engage and you know um, and how to share content etc um which I absolutely love one of the things I and it's not in my opinion I believe you know not just selling B2B um, but a lot of this stuff is 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 can be completely you know transferred into the world of of selling to consumers as well because a lot of the concepts of sales I feel um, you know if you master the art of selling You can quickly adapt it into into the world of consumer sales as well so it's got a lot of valuable content in there samantha so i appreciate you sharing that with me before the show um mate want to just ask you you know and and how this is why this is connected to sort of that cadence process as well you talk about you know getting yourself a coach why in your opinion is this an important part of becoming a successful sales professional
1: so, like, uh, getting yourself a sales coach?
0: Yeah, I mean, you've got, you know, you, you know, get a coach. Um, I think there references it in in, in your book. Um, yep. You, know, in your opinion, because I think there's a lot of debate around, you know, getting a coach versus doing training, and training's not worth it anymore. There's heaps of, you know, misconceptions out there on the world of social. Um, why, in your opinion, is getting a coach important to become a high performing sales
1: professional? Because I, I think with anything, you could always l- you want to learn from people that have been successful in the past. So um, you, know, it, it, you know I relate this back to my tennis career. like you know if I started just trying to play tennis by myself, would I have been successful? I didn't have the same coach for 15 years that knew that knew how to take a tennis player from the age of 11 to the age of 18 to be a professional kind player. So it's the same thing with sales. Yeah. You want to take an SDR that is, you know, dialing and, and, and doing a lot of the SDR stuff and convert them into say an account manager at some point and convert them. You want to also always show that you can, there's growth, yeah. especially in sales, there's growth in career and in, in the personal life. There's always growth. So by having a, a coach um, will allow you to really um, expedite your, your sales career. But it also give you the skill it teach you the skills you need to get to the next step. Because people, if you're going to be an SDR the rest of your life, at some point, you're going to want to either A, learn something different or B, do a little bit more. So I think having the sales coach to move you and and continue up that ladder um, is, is very important, especially if you're trying to, you know, one day move from an SDR all the way up to say a VP of sales, et cetera.
0: Yeah. Awesome, man. And that's such good advice. So I really appreciate you sharing that with us. And mate, just on that, as I, you know, as you're building your capability, building those, you become that high performer when you're in tennis versus, you know, in sales, what are some of the characteristics that you brought across from your, you know, career in um, tennis that has helped you become the sales professional you are today?
1: Great question. I will tell you the one thing competitive sports helps in sales is competitiveness. Yeah. Because I, when I used to play tennis, I used to two things. I used to, I used to love to win, but I also used to hate to lose. Yeah, absolutely. So, so now when I bring that to the sales, it, it works both ways. You know, people go, what are you? Do you love to win or do you hate to lose? I'm both. So when I'm in sales right now and I see I can steal market share from my competitors. I love it. I love stealing market share. I love working on ways to get that market share. It's competitiveness there. Yeah. Now, hate to lose is I hate to lose business to a competitor. Therefore, um, you know, if I'm going up against you know one of my number one competitors, like an Outreach.io or a sales loft or any of them, um, I love I love the competition. And I'm not one of those guys. I never put my competition down. In any call, you'll never hear me say anything bad about my competition because I don't want I don't want to put down my competition to win the business. I want to prove to my clients the value and how we solve their problems and their challenges with our platform versus our competitors. Because our competitors do stuff better than we do. We do stuff better than they do. But at the end of the day, it's very competitive. So I would say the number one thing from tennis is competitiveness. And if you're going to be successful in sales, um, you got to be competitive because if you're competitive, you're going to get a lot more sales and you're going to make mm. a lot more money.
0: Yeah, spot on, man. And I feel, you know, with competitiveness, comes all the you know the subset you know the drive the determination the perseverance because you don't want to give up knowing that you know you've got that that strong desire to win and and uh what I've found in my career that even when I'm, you know I've got that competitive streak sometimes it just doesn't I just don't get the result but but it, it inspires me to go harder and harder so that I can you know I can continue to compete because I'm um, so I really, really appreciate you sharing that with us, man. Um, and I've definitely taken that as a, as a key highlight from our conversation. Um, and just for the listeners that, you know, that don't know that whole, that world of, of um, outreach, you know, the, the businesses that Sean has talked about, Sales Loft and Outreach.io, um, they, they are significantly big businesses right there. I think they've hit unicorn status, both of them, if I'm not if yep. I'm correct. Yeah. Yep. Um, so, you know, is your self-funded still or you've got external capital coming in?
1: We are self-funded. So that's why it even makes it more of a challenge for us to compete with those guys. Um, We, we bootstrapped it from our first data company uh, four years ago um, and, and invested into AutoClose. So we are bootstrapped from the ground up. Uh, We didn't take any funding, but um, listen, I, I I don't, I don't, as I said, I, I think they both have great platforms, but I think there's room for more than two um, outreach platforms in the industry. And, you know, um, I think uh, it's a challenge for us to go up against them, but at the end of the day, um, I've been competing my whole life and um, I bring on any challenge. Absolutely.
0: Love that, man. That's the mindset, right? The mindset of, uh, of success. Yep. So, man, if um, I want to ask you, so biggest influence in your career that, have, that has shaped you to who you are today and why?
1: <sighs> biggest influencer in my career? I would probably say my tennis coach. Yep. When I was younger. Um, and the reason why he was the biggest influencer, because he's the one that always taught me to continue to push and to continue to deal with adversity. And, you know, um, being in, you know, he, he might, I might not have been the most athletic um, tennis player, but I had a heart. So, you know, to compete hard. Um, so I would say my 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 first tennis coach, who actually was my tennis coach my entire career from day one, never left him. Um, he was the biggest influencer and, and also, um, you know, when I started to get in those teen years where I was, um, I guess a little bit, um, of a, of a handful to deal with, um, he, he kept me and introduced me how, you know, at a young age, how to speak and talk and deal and work with people twice my age, which I would say to this day is one of the best skills you can, you can start young, um, even early on in your career, but be able to talk to somebody that's three times your age or yeah. two times your age about what you're selling, it'll only help because people want to be able to speak at the same level and, uh, and nobody wants to be, um, be speaking to like a kid. So you yeah. want to always make sure that you, you have that maturity um, as your buyer um, when you're dealing in sales.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic, man. That's really insightful, mate, you know, that whole uh, deal with adversity and, and, and compete with the heart. I absolutely love that, man. Um, and if you could go back in time and do it all over again, what's one thing you would do differently?
1: One thing I would have done differently, I would have started becoming an entrepreneur from the day I left my MBA. Yeah. So I had about six years in between that. Um, I learned a lot, but I think um, I wish I was six years younger when I started my first business. And if I had to go back in time, I would say this to this is to people that want to be an entrepreneur. When you have an idea in your head and you think it will work. Try it. Yeah. You can, you can, you can try it for not too much. Cause I had ideas. I don't want to get into it, but there was a lot of ideas that I had when I was a lot, very young, um, that now are, you know, businesses like full businesses are doing billions of dollars and I had the same. So you want to make sure when you're young, you take advantage of any idea you have. Try things when you're young, because when you're older, you have a family and yeah. et cetera. It's, it's a lot tougher. So try things when you're young, if you can, when you get into school or while you're in school or on the side, do something you enjoy, and, and 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 if you have that idea, jump on it and give it a try.
0: Yeah, that's awesome, man. Well, man, this has been awesome. I've absolutely loved our conversation. Um, I think you know we've probably got another opportunity to chat again because that whole sales cadence we can talk for hours, man. So um, I've really enjoyed having you on today. But could, just before we you know finish up, um, what is one thing that our listeners can do immediately? after listening to this podcast that will help them, you know, find more deals, close more prospects.
1: Yeah. Uh, I would say two things. I would say first, I would get a good read of the B2B Sales Handbook. It's a free, it's a free yep. book that you guys can read. So read that book. It'll it'll put your yourself in a good mindset, a good um, a good uh, good feeling when you're doing campaigns. And then you can go to our website, autoclose.com sign up for even a four fourteen day trial and try a few cadences, test some subject lines, test some campaigns, but try and use the stuff that we teach you. The templates we teach you in that B2B sales handbook, try it in the auto close and, um, and feel free to reach out to me personally. Um, my email, Sean at auto that's S H a W N at autoclose.com. And you could ask me any questions you have about this, this podcast we did today or any questions throughout your 14 day or anything from the book. Um, I'm always available to all my clients um, so feel free to reach out to me at any time
0: oh man that's sick and we'll put all that in the show notes, we'll put a link to the handbook, um, link your LinkedIn profile and uh, you know make sure that everybody can, can go in and, and get the wisdom that you've, you've you know have, have developed for yourself to make you so successful and have made thousands of other salespeople successful as well so really appreciate what you're doing for the, for the sales community man and uh, thanks for, for joining us today
1: Thank you so much, Uh, and it was a a pleasure to, to do this with you, Luigi. Thanks, man.
0: What an episode that was. Sean possesses all the characteristics high performers possess. He's competitive, driven, and has a hunger for success. What I enjoyed about that episode is the connection Sean spoke about from his time as an athlete. That the behaviours which made him successful at tennis can be so easily transferred in the world of sales. So my challenge to you this week is, what are you prepared to do to create that mindset for success? How are you becoming an athlete of sales so that you can be the best sales professional you can be?